0: transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four K E Y S that's unmistakablecreative.com
1: slash four keys and download your free copy. People want someone out there to tell the truth. People want, people will follow an authentic voice. You know, if even if you're selling shit people will follow you you know um, um uh, my wife laura pointed out the other day uh patagonia did a uh, full page ad for one of their jackets and she said she said they gave they said don't buy this coat and they gave all the reasons and they gave like how th- you know how much things cost and what the labor was and blah blah the freaking coat sold like hotcakes <laughs> you know they were being completely honest they said don't buy this coat and we loved it because they were being honest, you know, even in marketing and advertising, it works. And I don't mean like it works as in like, Hey, that's a good trick, but people want to follow an authentic, true voice. Mm -hmm. They want, they want, they don't, they don't, they don't want you to be, um, aloof and untouchable. They Mm -hmm. want to know that, you know, that, that you're a human being. This is important because because quite frankly there are, there aren't enough human beings out there or enough people being that completely honest. It's powerful and moving. Sreeni, I am tickled pink to be here. And I, you know what? I love the name Unmistakable Creative. That is very groovy.
0: Well, thank you. I I really appreciate that. And, you know, I came across your story uh, by way of you know, n- numerous mutual guests who have tweeted things you've said. I've seen your work quoted in things that I absolutely love. Uh, I've seen, you know, written, read articles that you've written in 99U, and I thought, you know what? I've got to talk to this guy. There's got to be something here in this story that people absolutely love. So on that note, can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, uh, your journey, your story, your background, and how that has brought you to what you're up to in the world today?
1: Oh, hell, you're going to start with that. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the the funny thing, Trini, is I've been – the last couple of years I've been telling everybody, um, you know, I am everyone's favorite artist. They just don't know it yet. <laughs> um, you know, uh, we are on – I am on an interesting path right now um, in that, one, I was kind of born to to be a designer. I was born to be an artist. Um, um when I was a kid, I was wildly creative, like all kids. Um, and, you know, the, the, so the, 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 Malcolm Gladwell has this thing he calls the 10,000 hours, takes 10,000 hours to become, a, you know, a master in your craft. Mm-hmm. Um, my 10,000 hours began when I was five years old. You know, I, I, when I was a kid, my mother would take me shopping and we would leave a, um, a department store and she would look down and I would be clutching a handful of tags that I had ripped off. Of all these, you know, various clothing pieces, and what I was doing at the time when I, I was curating, I was gathering the things that I visually responded to. Um, I've just been lucky enough that that I've stayed on this um, this path of mine. You know, I just wrote an article, a new article for uh, for the Ninety Nine U, and it's called "Hey Weirdo," mm-hmm. and it's about how um, difficult it is to stay on that path. You know, because the weirdness in us gets taught out of us or shamed out of us or embarrassed out of us or, or we give it away in order to fit in, you know. Um, and in order to be an unmistakable creative as an adult, you know, you really kind of have to hold on to that. Um, and I think that's one thing that I've been very good at my entire career is um, either to fail or be shepherded into, um, you know, doing what I love. Um, and over the last couple of years, I've realized that I'm a pretty good graphic designer, uh, meaning, I can get. I, I've got. You know, I've had two shows at the Museum of Modern Art. I'm in their permanent collection, which is awesome. But I've realized I'm a much better teacher. Mm-hmm. And after teaching at the School of Visual Arts for almost 20 years, I'm I've stepped down from that, and now I'm using my 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 words and my images to um, kind of help. Hungry, horny creatives uh, who are in their, you know, mid-career uh, to help them have a career um, as 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 rich as I have had. Hmm. Um, so I don't know if I'm really kind of answering your question of how I, you know, started in this thing, but um, but that's the this is kind of the path that I'm on, and it's a it's 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 a it's a very exciting and very scary place to be. <laughs>
0: Okay, so a lot of different things here. And I like to dig really deep, especially into early sort of childhood formative experiences. Uh, I I love that you said that you were born to be an artist. I think that's a a really sort of insightful observation. And one of the things that's interesting to me is this idea that the weirdness is kind of sucked out of us, and you have to hang on to it in order to stay an unmistakable creative. I'm interested in How we start to bring it back if it has been taught out of us, especially when we've gotten to this point in adult life when we have all these sort of expectations from the world around us.
1: Yeah, no, it's funny. You know, I can. I I remember. I remember. um, um, You know, I got I got a favorite bar I go to, and uh, it's a it's kind of just like a locals bar, and you'll get like guys who work for the uh, the MTA, the subway, or you get like you know, uh, uh, yeah, you know, working stiffs. Mm-hmm. These guys are so funny and so smart. And I, and I'm always thinking, God damn, these guys would make amazing designers, amazing artists, amazing comedians or actors or writers. If they had just, you know, if that, if that, if that spark hadn't, hadn't been, you know, taught out of them or hadn't been scared out of them or had it been, had it been, um, taught or shepherded, you know, um, um, you know, creativity is 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 you know they talk about the uh, the creative the new creative commerce or whatever. Um, creativity is is in danger in this country. You know, it's not taught, it's not fostered. Public schools are more and more getting rid of music departments and art departments and anything that 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 reeks of creative. Um, you know, so we can so we can get those 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 well paying jobs that we're not made for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Am I answering your
0: question? <laughs> Not entirely. I mean, I I think there, there's more there. I mean, I guess, you know, you're right. It's what I'm curious about is how you get it back.
1: Um, yeah, no, it's funny. Um, how you get it back. Um, I think the hardest part is recognizing it, or kind of like looking back. I've so I had an assistant here who um he worked with me for four years. Brilliant guy. Um, and after about a year and a half he was able to kind of look back on his career, on a career that he thought was just kind of bouncing around from, 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 from uh, useless job to useless job. Um, and he realized that he was actually in an odd way being shepherded and he was picking up things along the way. Um, most, of my, most of my students, at least in, in, in university, I tell a lot of, I tell them all my students that listen, if you've come to art school straight out of high school, um, you probably made a big mistake because you basically don't know jack shit. <laughs> right? Most of my students, the better ones, um, have had some failure, uh-huh. you know, have had some other course of study or had some um, real life experience because that is what, that's what helps you. Um, that's what shepherds you and and guides you into realizing, you know, at least it's like dating. It's like, well, I don't like those things. Uh-huh. You know. Um, you know, when I was when I was uh getting out of high school, I didn't get accepted into into the universities that I wanted. Um, um, um and the two careers that were presented to me were nursing and um working for the the prison. There was a local prison. And <laughs> and I kind of had a um moment of introspection and said, well, I don't feel like a nurse. <laughs> I don't I don't think I was made to be a prison guard. You know, there's got to be something else out there. Um so I was lucky enough to, you know, to find a uh, um an, uh, an apprenticeship at a tiny little design studio uh in my hometown um um and, and then from there worked up to where I could put a portfolio together and uh, um uh, you know apply to art schools so i needed to i needed to fail From other things, while at the same time kind of paying attention to that tiny little spark that, uh, you know, that I was born with. And I think that's the hard part is really kind of recognizing it in yourself, Mm -hmm. Um, especially if you're if you're if you're creative or you feel like you're a singer or a musician and any any of these careers where people go, oh, well, you know, there's there's no money in it fuck the money. Oh my God. You know how many people have money and have the car and their house and they're so completely unsatisfied. <laughs> I mean, you know, the car and the house, that's, that's easy. Um, you know, true happiness, true, uh, to be, um, uh, an unmistakable to creative or even, and not even just to be a successful one. You know, I've got, I'm surrounded in a, in a really nice community here in Brooklyn, um, with, uh, photographers and illustrators and, um, um, animators who they're all just trying, they're Mm -hmm. all just completely happy and they're just out fighting the good fight on a daily basis. You know, it's hard to kind of hold on to that creative spark, um, um, in the, in a, in a, in a, uh, in a, in a country and in a world that, you know, only values, uh, you know, the thickness of your wallet.
2: Mm
0: let me ask you this. You know, I recently had an opportunity to go back to speak to my high school AP English teachers class 20 years later. Awesome! And it was really cool because I'm now, you know, having a book come out with a publisher and all of that. And I thought of all places, places that was not the class that I ever expected to go back to when I was in high school. Reason <laughs> being, I come from a culture being Indian that very much emphasizes sort of a linear achievement oriented path. And I guess really the question for me uh, as, you know, for for you as somebody who's been in our education system um, and come out of it as the person you have, why do you think we have such an emphasis as a culture on safe, guaranteed,
1: linear paths? You know, the thing is, um, secondary education, college, you know, is really expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know as a teacher, even in, you know, um, um art school or design school, you know, I had to tell all of my students, I said, listen, I am doing you a disservice. I am gonna get you all hopped up on creativity. And then you're gonna get out in the world. And it's not, this business is not inherently wildly creative and high paying. <laughs> but the school wants to make your parents happy. And the school wants to do you a service and be, get you to be able to pay your rent, you know. So in order to do that, you know, to a certain degree, we teach lower standards instead of instead of you know higher standards. A lot of schools, a lot of schools, especially schools outside of you know outside of like the, the big central hubs of creativity, like New York or or, or L A, um, they teach cowardice. They teach to the business. Mm-hmm. You know what I call an acceptable level of creativity, um, and that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem because we're teaching them just how to answer answer to a boss.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, we kind of we're kind of what I mean. Even 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 Bob Dylan said, uh, "What twenty years of school and then they put you on the day shift." Yeah. You know that is that's not a creative life,
0: no doubt so how do you break that pattern if you happen to be a byproduct of this system that you've been indoctrinated into
1: you know you 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 break that pattern in that um you seek help mm-hmm. you, uh, you you seek mentors um you have to understand that um that you um are not in the um not in the ma- majority mm-hmm. you know you have to understand that um um, that it's going to be a, um, a long fight, but it won't be a sad fight. Hmm. Um, you know, it's hard because there isn't a, uh, you know, there isn't a train that goes there. It's a, it's a, it's a solitary path. Um, and you've got to find your community, you've got to find the people around you. And, you know, I've got, I've got people who I mentor from, you know, from England and Japan and stuff who write me, who are basically not in a creative community and they need someone to talk to. <laughs> so they, you know, we'll have, we, we have Skype sessions where they, you know, where I kind of remind them of what's important. Um, you know, that's the thing is like, it's, 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 it's difficult if you don't have a community and I'm extremely blessed because I have a, I have a community of hotheads and hooligans Mm -hmm. around me. Um, and I have an amazing wife who is on the same path as I am. You know, that's a whole nother thing. If you want to have a life and a family and a a wife and a dog and stuff, I mean, you have to make sure that, um, that they're on the team as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a, um, um, it's not, it's not good for, for, you know, for, for, for people to go out and, and do it on your own. Cause it's really difficult that way. Oh. It's hard to be, it's hard to be creative and it's hard and it's hard to be creative for, 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 you know, in your twenties and it's hard to be creative in your thirties and it's harder to be creative in your forties. And, you know, and as, as it goes along, you know, um, it becomes a difficult path, but it does also, like I said, we don't do it for the reward. We do it because um, we have to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think when we get to that point, um, um, I think then the reward follows you. You know, I always tell people. You know, I always tell. Actually, you would you would dig this coming from the Indian culture. I make a, a number of references to the Bhagavad Gita.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, and in the
1: Bhagavad Gita, um, there's a phrase that says, um, um, "You are not entitled to the fruit." of your labor. You're only entitled to the labor itself. And that means do the work. Don't seek reward. Do the work. And if you do the work, the reward will find you. But we don't do it for the reward.
0: It's funny because I said something similar in my book. I said, you know, art that rewards its creator long after the average person quits is admired but rarely encouraged.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, let's do this. I really want to hear uh, about sort of your childhood and molding <laughs> moments that have... I'm
1: trying to avoid it as much as possible.
0: <laughs> well, you know, you're know, you about to learn that I don't settle for surface level answers. I'm like, okay, I need to dig deeper into everything here. Uh, I'm really interested actually in you know, what kinds of parents did you have that would lead you down this sort of a path? Uh, and also the molding moments of everything in your life and career that have brought you to where you're at now
1: interesting okay so here's the here's here are the two two the two biggest contributors and are 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 my parents and both of them are completely um, were completely ignorant of the, <laughs> of their contribution so um, let's start with my dad so i was reared in a, a military household uh my father uh flew uh over vietnam during you know during the the, the vietnam war <clears throat> but in in his travels he collected a lot of things he collected bullfight bullfight posters from 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 barcelona and from madrid and he was in uh, spent time in alaska and brought things back and spent time in bangkok thailand and brought little toys and magazines back so and i lived in upstate new york up, up near the canadian border where yeah, and this was in the 60s where you just didn't have access to these types of things. I mean, in the winter, if you wanted fruit, it was apples.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it was before shit was being shipped all over the world, right? So my father would bring back all these cultural artifacts that were just beautiful, beautiful just beautiful pieces of, you know, they were magazines and they were swords and they were dishes. And he brought back chopsticks and it was like, what the, what do we do with these? You know, but they were beautifully made and they were handcrafted. And, um, um, and I remember once one of the, uh, little, little, um, toys he brought back from Bangkok had stopped working. So I opened it up and I, to, to, to change the batteries and the batteries inside were beautiful. They had like, they had like script that I couldn't read and it was, they were black and yellow, like a bumblebee. And I, I just, I remember remarking at how beautiful they were. Um, so my father was bringing back all these, um, um, artifacts from around the world that just really turned me on visually. Um, And my parents also were amateur um, – they were antique hunters, so they brought – they were always um, searching for antiques. We had like um, old books and um, old postal telegraph clocks and all this kind of weird stuff that other people's houses didn't have, right? Mm -hmm. Um, While at the same time, my mother worked in – we were in a university town. Um, and my mother worked in the university library. And when I was nine and 10 years old, um, I would get out of school and walk the two blocks to the library. We didn't live in town. We lived outside of town and I'd walk to the library after school and wait for her for about an hour and a half or two hours. So she could drive me home when she got off of work. Right. So she knew I liked to draw. So what she would do to amuse me is she would go to the reference department and get a stack of picture books. But these picture books were um, collections of design history, collections of art history. And she would give me a piece of, um, um, like, uh, what was it called? Back then it was called onion skin paper or letter, you know, typing paper. And I would just pour through these books and redraw all the pictures in them. So I was getting this, at 9 and 10 years old, I was getting this huge education in design and art. So my parents were a huge part of of, of my design and art education, and they did it completely ignorantly.
0: So you had you know these really early molding moments, and I have asked this question a dozen times because I'm not satisfied with the answer I've gotten yet, maybe because there isn't one. Why do you think so many people miss those molding moments?
1: I think they're not, they're, they're not presented as viable. They're just not things that people do. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the, there's a uh, – so, so, so one of my mentors um, who I was able to, to learn from and, um, and meet late in his life is this Polish designer named Henrik Tomaszewski. And Henrik is largely considered the father of the, the modern poster. Um, he was born in 1914 and he lived, um, he lived uh, you know, uh, 90 years. And when he was a kid, he wanted to be – a, a, a painter. Right. And in, in this was in, uh, this was in Warsaw and his parents, his parents wanted him to choose a, um, um, a more viable career as a musician. <laughs> so even, even in a creative household, I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't even grow up in a creative household, but even in a creative household, the parents don't, didn't see what he wanted as viable. But they saw music as something that you could get paid for. So I mean, it's like it's like you don't you know if you're like if you like enjoy playing with dolls mm-hmm. and you happen to be a, um um and making dresses for them and you happen to live in in Oklahoma and be a boy, you're pretty much screwed. Yeah, no one's gonna no one's gonna present the career of fashion design to mm-hmm. you. No one's going to create the, the career of, uh, present the career of stylist to you. You're pretty much screwed mm. and ostracized. <laughs> um, so it's just these, these careers are not seen, seen as, uh, as viable, which is interesting now that nowadays, because, you know, now I see a lot of people who are doing things like, uh, um, um, showing the popular culture five different typefaces and 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 asking them to to name which faces which so now like re, you know the average person knows the names of typefaces you know um knows these people are be, becoming more conscious of these kind of secrets of 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 design and marketing and advertising um so it'll be interesting to see if you know if 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 this has some kind of effect and um Um, children are allowed to go into these fields like to, you know, to choose, to choose a career of advertising or to choose marketing or to choose graphic design. Um, uh, But, you know, I, I, the funny thing is at the school of visual arts um, and a lot of the schools advertising and marketing and graphic design are being put aside for game design, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, uh, for app design. Which is which is directly correlated to the money you can make <laughs> if you if you have an app out there and you sell it for a dollar and it goes you know it goes wildfire, you know, um, as opposed if you uh, if you have a, a gift for drawing letters. Mm-hmm. So I think I think part of it is just it's not presented as something that you know that one could make a living in. And hell, that's okay. you know, hell, you know, I mean, we are not for everybody. We're just for the sexy people.
0: (laughs) You know, one of the other things that's really interesting to me that you said is when people come to art school straight out of high school, they're not really ready. I get the sense that in a lot of ways, we're not really ready to make any major decisions about life when we are just out of high school. And I'm interested in hearing, you know, why you think that happens to be the case, what kinds of experiences we need to go through, um, in order to, for lack of something less cliche or cheesy, find a calling.
1: You know, I think we have to jump through hoops. I think mean, that's just the game. I mean, that's just, that's just how it works. Um, um, you know, uh, I could write a book, Srini, about the failures that I've had, the number of times I've been told, no, I shouldn't be a designer. The number of times I've, I've had, you know, a ruler across my knuckles because I stepped outside of my bounds. Um, hell even, you know, even, even in my, even now in my career. Um, um and I think those are just the obstacles. Mm-hmm. That's what it takes. You know, if you want to be an, if you want to be an actor or you want to be a musician, I mean, uh, there's a lot of failure involved. You don't just get out there and boom, you're a you're a success. You know, most bands have been out, you know, been out busting their humps on the road, playing to clubs with three people in them for ten years before they make it, mm-hmm. and a lot of them don't make it. But that's the game. That's just how you get good. You know, I mean, I had to, I had to. Bust bust my hump for 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 years and 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 then even as a designer even when I chose to move to New York and become a designer and I had goals and plans very very definitive goals and plans when I was at you know when I was nineteen and moved to New York um, um, and I got a little bit of work going on and I was making, you know, making a, a couple thousand a pop for a book jacket. And I was doing a lot of book jackets. And then I woke up like five or seven years down the road and I was like, oh, wait, being a book jacket designer wasn't one of my goals. I got satisfied, you know, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I had to kind of stop and rethink my goals and get back on, get back on, you know, my own little personal wagon. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the, you know, uh, failing at a lot of other things is, 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 is good for us. It's just the process. That's how it works. You know, the, Nothing should be handed to us. We have to work for these things.
0: So let's talk specifics. You get to New York at 19, and I am interested in the journey from that point to where you're at, you know, the failures, the successes, the things that have been the byproduct of all the things that you have gone through. Because I know that you're up to a whole bunch of things in the world now.
1: Yeah, no, I tell everybody, don't, Jesus Christ, don't be, don't do, you know, what is it? What is that Jack Nicholson line? Don't be like me. <laughs> <laughs> don't be like me. Um, no, I did it the dumb way. Um, so I, Srini, I graduated high school, did w- extremely well in high school because it was easy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I didn't do well in getting into University. So I went to the I went to the university in my hometown, um, State University of New York. Um, and after the first semester, I was asked to leave because I had <laughs> got, I got like a zero point zero four cum. Right. Um, met this graphic. Yeah. They met this designer in this tiny little studio, a design studio. It was called graphic advertising, and they literally made, um, you know, menus for restaurants. You know, that was, that was the level of creativity in the, in the joint, but the guy was really sharp and he had worked in agencies and he kind of got me excited about graphic design. So I started applying to, um, um, all the schools on the East coast. Um, and I got accepted to all the design schools on the East coast and I decided to go to the school of visual arts. So I was 19, I had 350 bucks in my pocket, uh, and a bunch of albums under my arm and I moved to New York. And, um, I had the goals of being, um, I wanted to be one of the best poster designers on the planet. Um, I'm at, I'm attending the school of visual arts and somewhere in my second year, one of my instructors takes me aside and I'm completely unhappy, completely unenthralled with, with the way that the education was being presented to me. Um, And this, one of my instructors takes me aside and he says, Hey, listen, you know, um, there are a lot of people, you know, looking for the same job and a lot of people who are going to be graduating here who are, who are really talented. And he basically suggested I become a, like a golf pro or a CPA or something. Um, so I left school, I dropped out of the school of visual arts and, um, but I had one instructor um, a book jacket designer, <laughs> oddly enough, being reared in a library books seem to be a, uh, a, a natural for me. So I had one instructor, his name is Paul Bacon, uh, an amazing, amazing guy. Uh, he did Joseph Heller's catch 22. He did the, the, the book cover for jaws that became the movie poster. He did, um, uh, all of, um, Robert Ludlum stuff. Amazing, amazing designer. Um, and Bacon took me in as an intern, and um, right after I, like, literally two days after I dropped out of SVA, took me in as an intern. Three weeks later, I put together a portfolio of like fake, fake covers because I hadn't worked yet. But fake covers, I did, did. I did the most important book to me at the time, which was George Orwell's Down and Out in Paris and London, <laughs> which seemed to make seemed to make the most sense. Um, and um, got work right off the bat. I just went out, saw the first art director. He gave me work, and then he became my major pimp for a number of years. And um, I uh, became a book jacket designer, and I just did a ton. Um, I was working on three to five to seven books at the same time, you know, always. Mm -hmm. Um, And what was interesting is at the time when I first started out – my book covers looked like Paul Bacon's book covers because I was coming from his studio. I was looking over his shoulder and saying, oh, that's what they look like, <laughs> you know? Um, and then at one point, I was um, I was buying fancy suits. I'd bought my first motorcycle cash. I was getting cocky, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I was looking around at my covers and looking around at, you know, Paul's stuff. And I was like, you know what? Wait a minute. I got my own sense of humor. I got my own way of seeing. Um I've got my own sense of size and proportion and color and I started designing um very bizarre, very different theoretically very James Victory mm-hmm. covers. And you know what happened? My clients hated them. <laughs> 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 Work dropped tremendously because people weren't interested in that because when they worked with me they didn't know what to expect anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Previously, they could expect a very – a book cover that looked like a damn book cover, you know? Um, and what I had to do is – that, that started me off on a completely new path where I had to search for smart, brave clients with money and people who would support the way I was seeing. Um, so I had uh, added a whole nother level of difficulty to uh, to the game, um, but it also made me immensely happy to make something that 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 was mine, that was recognizable as mine. And you know, it's funny is I've got a uh, there's a coffee table book of my work out. It's called um, Victoria or Who Died and Made You Boss. And in it, um, early on in the book, um, there are a bunch of these um, early book covers. And I really didn't want to put them in the book, but I had to put them in the book because they really show a young designer searching, a really a young designer struggling to figure out typography and to figure out color and to figure out um, can I put my own handwriting? Can I be so brave as to put my own handwriting on the cover? Um, 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 it's uh, it's kind of interesting to look back at the work and see the process um, that I was trying to go through. Hmm.
3: United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together.
0: One of the things that's always interesting to me, especially because you mentioned this idea of work that was yours, and we know it came from you. I mean, to me, that's that's effectively the definition of unmistakable. Nobody else could have done this. I'm interested in how you take the artistic inputs and the artistic influences from your life and start to develop your own style as an artist and creative, and you know whatever form your art happens to take.
1: Hmm. Um. Yeah. So hopefully. So um, I won't. I'll just say it in like the, uh, the the general sense, not not my own particular story. But so what happens is, hopefully, along the way, you will start to get a sense of what people are responding to in your work. Mm-hmm. And in my work, it was a sense of what they responded to was a sense of being a little off to the left. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't following the rules per se when I, in my work, everything had a little, a little, it was always kind of off. There was a macabre sense of humor or there was a, a a different way of um, hopefully seeing things or, or, or there was some subtle in jokes. Um, And those were things that just made me happy. And it's something that I call in the particular lies the universal. And it's something that we te- we 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 work very hard to teach now,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that says, "Listen, your way of seeing, your particular sense of humor, your sex appeal, your um, your sense of poetry or drama, <laughs> um, that's important. Put it in the work, and the more honest and the more authentic you can be." about who you are and putting it into the work, the larger, the more meaning it's going to have for your audience. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you may not have, you, you can't speak to everybody. You know, advertising, the biggest problem with advertising is they want to frickin' talk to everybody at once. And it's patently impossible. You can't, if you appeal to everybody, then you appeal to nobody. Because mm-hmm. it's like it's like advertising tries to be like oatmeal. Well, everybody likes oatmeal. Well, no, not everybody likes oatmeal. <laughs> you know? You can't just make something that, that appeals to everybody. What you can do is make work that makes you happy. Mm-hmm. Make work that blows your own skirt up. Because dollars to donuts, I bet there's a huge group of people, and those are called your audience, that will get excited by it. In the particular lies the universal. The more authentic I can be about being James Victory, the more excited people get about my work or my words. You know, S- S- Srini, in your new book, in your new book, the more honest you are about this idea of, 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 of writing a thousand words a day, mm-hmm. um, the the larger your audience is going to be. The more authentic these people are gonna be, the, the, the more true they're going to be to you. And again, you're not for everybody. You're only for the sexy people.
0: (laughs) I love that. You know, it's funny because as you're saying that, I can't help but think about one of our survey respondents who went, you know, obviously took the time to critique me and said, I'm not really in love with, you know, Srini's interview style. And then they listed all the other interviewers that they wished I sounded like.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, And I thought, yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) <laughs> and I thought, well, then why are you listening to us? You should just go listen to those other people. Yeah. You know, Srini, I think you should be more like Charlie Rose, <laughs> you know, but there is, there's already a Charlie Rose. Don't fricking be a Charlie Rose. <laughs> it's hilarious. You know, it's funny. I always tell this story of like, like, say you've got, say you've got a, uh, um, you open up a tiny little borscht restaurant. Uh-huh. Because your grandma, your umma, made the best borscht in the world. And so, you, so you've so got a tiny little restaurant with like just like five tables, right? And all these people are coming and like, oh my god, this is the best borscht. It reminds me of my grandma and blah, 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 blah. After a while, people are going to get comfortable and they're going to start saying, you know, you know what my grandmother used to do? She used to put a lot of sour cream. Oh yeah, my grandma used to use hot sauce. Yeah. So you start paying attention to all this stuff and after a while, you're not – Doing anything authentic anymore? You're 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 taking a survey. You're fulfilling a survey, uh-huh. and you're making crap. <laughs> you're making crap that you're you're trying to appeal to everybody, and because of that, you're not making yourself happy anymore, and that's a problem. Mm-hmm.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about this idea of honesty and you know rawness and realness. Uh, Only if I can lie. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know this really interests me because I have really wrestled with this balance of how honest should you be and how do you know you've gone too far? And like, it's, it's the, the question of, okay, this is really vulnerable. It's raw. It's authentic, but maybe it should have been contained to your therapist office, not for your audience and how you find that balance without compromising the integrity of what you do.
1: Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, um, yeah, sharing, (laughs) Um, what's, what's funny for me, uh, Srini is, so we have, I've got this, um, video project, the, um, a weekly video called burning questions that we put out on YouTube every week. And, um, the times that people respond the most vehemently and the most excited are the times when I've, I'm literally, um, when, when I'm, really struggling with a personal decision or really being vulnerable Mm -hmm. Um, almost to the point where I don't think I should say this, you know, that's when people actually most respond. Um, I don't know if I've crossed that, 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 that I'm very conscious of that, that, uh, that border that you're talking about, Uh you know, that, that line. Um, But I think the, the closer you can get to that line, the more, uh, interesting it is, hmm. uh, meaning so. So he, here's 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 a visual for you. I had this um, this um, the designer come pal of mine come into my uh, come into my class once, and he uh, he wanted to d- describe to the students that line, right? So he he's he he walks into the class and he's drinking a a cup of coffee off the street, right? One, one of those paper cups. He's got a full cup of coffee and he spends about. Two minutes balancing it on the edge of the desk. Like just – it's like – it's so he lets his – just sheepishly lets his hand off of it. And it is teetering, you know? It is like ready to go smash on the floor, but it's not. It's just like teetering on the edge of the desk. And everybody is just riveted staring at this cup. And he said, that's what I do for a living meaning meaning it should have that tension it should be at that line all the time that's an interesting place to be you know um, um, if you look at if you look at um, if you're a, I'm a fan of um, comedians and stand-up mm. comedy and what's really fascinating with comedians is there is an extremely fine line between them being hilarious and them being idiots <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? There's a really, that's, I think that's the best scenario that I can think of is stand up comedy when some guy's up there being completely raw about himself or his girlfriend or his, you know, like, like, what's his name? Uh, Louis C.K. He's uh-huh. great at it. He talks about his sweaty balls and it's hilarious. It's not embarrassing. Hmm. You're like, oh my God, I, I totally, I'm there. Dude, I'm totally there. You know? It's because, again, it goes to back to the, uh, in the particular lies the universal. But it's a really, it's a really, fine line and it can be very, um, you know, you can, you can live and die by it. Hmm. So I don't know, I don't know where it lies. Um, and I'm getting close to it because I'm doing much more writing and filming these days and putting opinions out more than, more than kind of choosing colors and choosing type. You know, I'm, I'm much more of a teacher these days than a graphic designer. So I think that, that line is much more, important to me is much more, um, prescient. Mm
0: -hmm. So let me ask you one more thing about this. Of course. Uh, one of the things that I keep finding, and maybe it's only because I'm asking about it is a lot of periods of real darkness, almost even anxiety, depression, you know, things that are very, very difficult for people with a lot of guests here on the show. And I'm curious if you've had any moments like that in your career. (laughs) And how you've pulled hold out. Hold on, of hold
1: on. Let me get my wife for
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> it just, the reason I brought it up is it seems more and more I am seeing a willingness from people to talk about it. Like Tim Ferriss wrote a post about suicide on his blog. And then I noticed somebody else followed suit, and I noticed more and more people are following suit. And I'm kind of thinking, wow, wait a minute. These are our heroes and our role models, the people we have placed on pedestals. They start to become human all of a sudden. And I'm just curious about your perspectives on all of this.
1: Oh no, you know, um, uh, well, Tim Ferriss did it, then I I have to do it now. Shit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, You know, people want. People are dying. You know, even even if I'm, let's let's say let's say I'm just talking about marketing and advertising. Mm -hmm. Um, People want someone out there to tell the truth. People want people will follow an authentic voice. You know, if even if you're selling shit, people will follow you. You know, um, um, uh, my wife, Laura pointed out the other day, uh, Patagonia did a, uh, full page ad for one of their jackets. And she said, she said, they gave, they said, don't buy this coat. And they gave all the reasons and they gave like how thick, you know, how much things cost and what the labor was and blah, blah. The freaking coat sold like hotcakes. You know, they were being completely honest. They said, don't buy this coat. And we loved it because they were being honest. You know, even in marketing and advertising, it works. And I don't mean like it works as in like, hey, that's a good trick. But people want to follow an authentic, true voice. Mm -hmm. They want, they want, they don't, they don't, they don't want you to be um, aloof and untouchable. They Mm -hmm. want to know that, you know, that, that you're a human being. This is important because, because quite frankly, there are, there aren't enough human beings out there, or enough people being that completely honest. It's powerful and moving.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna make up some awesome story about uh, suicide. That'd be groovy. <laughs> oh, Actually, for me, it wouldn't be suicide. For me, it would be oh, I was gonna kill this guy. <laughs> I kill other people. I kill other people first.
0: Well, let's do this. Let's shift gears a little bit. And let's talk about teaching. You know, I think in, in some form or another, every one of us who is creating is teaching. And I'm really interested in how the students you have taught have influenced the way that you create now.
1: Oh, man. Gee whiz. There's a there's so there's this there's this line. Um, there's this thing that um, that says um, um, teaching is a, if you do it well, teaching is a very selfish occupation. I've always learned so much more from my students than, than I feel that I've given them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 that's awesome. That means you're, that means you're onto something. Mm-hmm. You know, that means you're, that means you're, 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 you're hitting a chord and you're sharing, um, well, if I, I don't, I don't know if that's English. Was that English? Was I speaking English there for a second? um, um no, I think that's, I think that's the job is 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 if you do it well it's it's a selfish occupation Wow, what was your question? Yeah, I, I think
0: <laughs> I think you answered it yeah. <laughs> so so I remember what it was that got me really interested in your story and I for some reason can't get this line out of my head. It was in a medium essay that you wrote where you said, here lies the guy's name. he would have done something creative but he had to pay the rent. I don't know if you remember yeah.
1: that oh yeah yeah, yeah.
0: And you That's got a lot of flack from it. I, I remember story. there was a I lot. Of pissed I got flack. Off comments.
1: From pussies. I got flack from cowards. <laughs> That's the only, the only flack I ever get is from people who are afraid of their own lives. It's crazy.
0: The question that that brings up for me is one that I've been trying to think. You know, and as we, we've been having this whole conversation, I'm curious if you had sort of a, a central ethos or something that connects all of your work together, uh, sort of a defining principle. What would you say that is?
1: Um, you know, Serena, excellent question. I remember a bunch of years ago, and this was before I was teaching. This was before I was putting thoughts out and before I was writing these thoughts down and sharing and before before Instagram and Twitter and all that. Um, I was at a – I had a um, um, an exhibition in Switzerland, um, a poster exhibition in Switzerland a number of years ago. Jeez, I don't know, 15 or more years ago. And <laughs> – the Swiss, the Swiss audience are very savvy, very sharp about, about posters and graphic design. And I had, um, I had um, a designer come up to me after I did a little talk. And a designer come up to me after and said, if, 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 if you laid out all of, you know, he's talking to me. He says, if you laid out all of your posters, it would be a portrait of you which I thought was extremely interesting because even as a, even as a graphic designers, my, my, my posters, people don't talk about what they look like. Mm -hmm. They talk about what they say. They talk about the, the, the ideas that we try to embed in these things. So having an opinion for me has always been an extremely important part of, 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 of being a designer. And now, um, you know, Trying to uh, trying to be a, a a teacher or a leader of sorts. Hmm.
0: Do you think that that central ethos that reveals itself as a part of a body of work is something that only happens as you progress, or it's only something that can be uncovered, or is it something that you know right from the start? No.
1: Oh, I think it's. I think it's something that I think, quite frankly, Serena. I think it's something that you 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 find in retrospect. I would say so too. I was that's I what I figured. I think it's something that, I think it's something that, you know, I mean, to to quote, uh, um, you know, uh, letters to a young poet, uh-huh. you know, Rilke. I think it's like you have to live the questions. And if you do a good job living the questions, you're going to wake up someday and look back and see that you've, you know, you've lived your way into the answer. So I think it's something that like, you know, I, I when that guy in Switzerland said, you know, these posters look like they're a portrait of you. It would, that was huge to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That was huge to me. I was like, Oh damn. And then even before that, when I was like living in New York, when I was living in New York and going to school, sk- trying to pay my way through the school of visual arts. And I had a, I had a, I had a day job that eventually became my full-time job, but I was like working in a, in a sporting goods store. I was working in a ski shop actually selling skis and boots and stuff. And, um, and I, and I, my whole life I, I, I draw I've drawn draw voraciously I draw all the time and I used to they had these like stacks of post-it notes you know with the ski shops logo on them and stuff and I used to always just make these goofy little drawings on these post-it notes and then just stick them around just just leave them as like little Easter eggs for people and people who've worked over the years in the in, in, in the ski shop if you went and visited any one of them they would somewhere in their house have a little teeny little frame and in it would be a post-it note of mine. And I, because I, 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 realized that people were really responding to these little gifts, these little jokes I was making, these little silly little little drawings, um, and that was something else that I was very lucky to kind of pay attention to, be privileged to, mm-hmm. early on, you know. Um, and even now, when we, when, when I do work, or when I, you know, Instagram and 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 Twitter are are, are proving grounds for me. You know, we put out these crazy ideas and it's really important that I pay attention to, to, to how people respond to them. I love that. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, real time, um, um, grading on my, on my essay. Hmm.
0: Let's talk briefly about gifts because right. Yeah. I think the, the, my Google search right before we hopped on here revealed an article you wrote on gifts and that was what I shared on Facebook, uh, Let's talk about that and the whole idea of approaching our work as if it's a gift that we're giving. Yeah.
1: So the the way it works is this. So I talked earlier about this kind of the idea of uh, in the particular,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: like in the particular lies the universal, like the more authentic you can be um, about putting – understanding who you are and putting it in the work – um, the next step is, is what happens is if you truly um, are being authentic and putting it in your work, what you're doing is you're not paying – you're not working for a paycheck anymore. You're not working to make a boss or a client happy. You're working to make yourself happy. And in doing so, you are – actually giving what you're putting out in the world what you're giving is a piece of yourself you know and then when you get to that point then you, your your work is a gift and so it, it so it it applies to me as a designer so the the better I can be at crafting these ideas and putting them in some some beautiful or ugly, Form. I don't care. I don't really discern between beautiful or ugly. Um, um, and the more honest I can be, people really, really respond to that. And it, my work becomes a gift. Mm-hmm. And even to put it in a more pedestrian way. So let's take a bus driver. Um, well, let, let me go backwards. Let me go backwards and talk about talk about design and advertising. So in design and advertising, we're given a you know you get an email or you get a uh, you know a sheet of paper that says here's 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 what you got to do here's what we want from you here's what we're going to give you forty five dollars to do, and that's the um, that's the objective that it becomes the objective. Okay, I got to satisfy this objective to get that forty five dollars, and most people are capable of that. Mm-hmm. They can they can finish the job and get forty five dollars, but most people are ignorant of the sub of the subjective. So the objective is sell these socks, get butts in the theater, you know, that kind of thing. The subjective is how you do it and how you do it is, do you do it with sex appeal? Do you do it with poetry? Do you do it with drama? Do you do it with humor? Do you do it with a macabre sense of humor? So most people are capable of getting, you know, filling the first part, but they don't do the second part very well. Hmm. So now, to take it like back, what like I was saying before, a pedestrian level. You take a bus driver; his objective is to get the bus to certain points of the route at certain times. Right? That's his objective. That's him fulfilling his duty. Mm-hmm. Now, if you had a bus driver who was con- conscious of the subjective of how he did it, you know, I know I've heard stories of bus drivers who, with a smile change people's day with a high, how do you do? You know, this, this is amazing. There used to be, there used to be the subway driver. Um, 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 he was on the A line in New York, right? And if you were on the A line at the right time of day, this guy's driving the train and the train pulls into like 59th street station, right? And this guy will come on and go 59th street station, next stop Seventy Second Street, home of Zabar's and the Museum of—you know—the guy was hilarious. He was giving his objective. He was telling you what the next stop was, telling uh-huh. you the highlights of the next stop. But it was—it was wonderful. He was like a like a like a carnival barker, and everybody you look around the train. Everybody's like looking around and smiling at each other, going, "Oh, this guy's awesome!" Right? His work was a gift. Uh-huh. It's not that hard. Just give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> just just care about what you do. I can imagine and I can uh, I can imagine a bus driver who hates his job. Well, that guy should actually go find some job that makes him happy. Uh-huh. Go find go find his gift.
0: Okay. So that makes a perfect transition for two final questions. Earlier uh very early in our conversation, you mentioned a period of introspection
1: and the suicide years, yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I myself have been very fortunate in that surfing has always been this thing that's given me an opportunity for introspection. And what I'm interested in is how you find what you call the tiny sparks in our moments of introspection.
1: <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no surface the, level questions. What was that? What was that? What was that? The second of those two questions. <laughs> um, oh, that's going to
0: be wor- wor- even worse. <laughs>
1: oh, sh- Shazbot, um, you know, I think, I think, I think those uh, to use that term, the, the those tiny sparks. Um, I think they're reoccurring. I think they're, I think there are these, you know, tiny little angels that constantly nudge you this little, little creeping idea that, you know, maybe you should do this thing. Um, you know, the, 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 the surfing thing I, I, I get cause, um, cause, cause I surf, I'm not a surfer, uh-huh. I surf.
0: <laughs> so the, di-
1: the difference is if the weather changes, a surfer goes,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I surf, I means like, um, um, um. If I'm work, if I've got work to do, I'm like, mm, gee, mm, mm. anyway, so, um, <laughs> um, but I understand the reference and it's because you have time alone, time to think
3: uh-huh.
1: other people have, uh, meditation. Um, I am a, am uh, a long distance runner. So when I go on a long, when I go on a run, like if I'm stuck, if I'm like mentally constipated here in the studio, I'll just put my sneakers on and go. And about like a mile into, into it, I'm like, Oh shit. Oh no. Oh, all these ideas start coming to me. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just, a um, it's seeking the muse. That's what it is. It's seeking the muse. It's an opportunity to get out of your daily routine. You know, most people, they get to work and they sit at a desk and, 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 and kind of wait to bleed from the forehead, you know, wait for ideas. And it's, it's a really tough way to work. Mm. You know, I, uh, for, for, for me, I think it's really important to seek the muse, to get outside of your routine And, and, and allow, you know, the gods to, to whisper in your ear. And that's, 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 that's where the interesting stuff happens. You know, uh, we get a lot of questions of people who, um, who uh, are mid-career and kind of stuck in their, in stuck in their, in their 401k and their, their, you know, their, um, um, their uh, multi-level couch or whatever. I don't know, their big TV and their, you know, their couch with their ass divot and, I have to basically tell them. Listen, you gotta you gotta go on a walkabout, man. You gotta get out of your routine and go go really kind of spend some time asking yourself some difficult questions. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think seeking the muse is is the way to kind of allow that 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 spark to turn into an ember, you know. And then it's just a tiny ember. And now what do you got (laughs) to do?
0: Wow. Uh, this has been incredible. So I am going to, I
1: told you, man, I told you it was going to be good. Oh, we got uh, good uh, yeah. stuff I expected
0: going. nothing less. If you didn't deliver, I was going to be really pissed off.
1: Damn. Are you just like wasting your time talking to, <laughs> talking to sad sack Tim Ferriss. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so you've had sort of this iconic creative career and you've seen all sorts of artists, people who are timeless and, and have done really amazing work and you yourself have. So what do you think it is? That makes somebody or something unmistakable.
1: I think they're just. I think that. I think they're. They're. I think they're paying attention to who who they are. And there's um there's a there's just a um a, a, a shit ton of bravery and courage that 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 that, 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 that statement implies. Hmm.
0: Um,
1: I think it's I think it's extremely hard to to maintain that level of um honesty for a you know through a through a career and not get swayed by. Um, popular um, opinion, or uh, or the money, um, um, but I think I think the unmistakable creative you're talking about is someone who you know someone who's holding on, someone who's carrying the flame, man. Right? Yeah. And that there, like I said, there's just a, a whole truckload of courage and bravery that 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 entails you know in my my i've got a i've got an 18 year old son who's graduating high school and um he's got a little we got a little graduation party coming up to, coming up and uh you know i have to write a little write a little um a little kind of toast and that's what i'm going to talk about is uh, uh i hope he has the the courage and bravery to continue being who who he is right now cuz who he is right now is really great
0: wow well james uh like i said this it was amazing, as I expected it would be, uh, and I can't thank you enough for for yeah, it's time fun, to, right? To join us, this is like I said, this is one of those really eye-opening conversations that I think is going to force people to think, which are my favorite kinds of conversations.
1: Oh man, oh man, I just did a workshop late, uh, uh, recently in Miami, and um, mm-hmm. um. Uh, one of the, that got really, I got really great comments, but one of the, one of the comments was, was, was somebody was like, Oh my God, James Victoria forced me to go places I didn't want to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully you will
0: do that for our listeners. Uh, again, this has been absolutely phenomenal.
1: Thanks for your help, dude. Thanks for the great questions too.
0: My pleasure. And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row?